Well, hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly and we're glad you've joined us today. We're about to start a brand new series called God Is. And in this new series, we're going to look at the life of Job. And the, the story of Job is, is pretty remarkable. But what we'll see over the next three weeks is that Job is, when everything falls apart, Job sees God more clearly than he ever has. He discovers actually who God is. And that's my prayer for each of us. That when things seem like they're out of control and falling down all around us, it's in those moments that we would see God more clear than we ever have. Now, have you ever thought to yourself, if I was God, I would do this? Personally, I think we all have. Even if we don't say that out loud to other people, have you ever wondered, is God really in control is, is God really working behind the scenes? Because if he's not, then maybe we shouldn't care. If, if God's not in control, then maybe we shouldn't care about it. Maybe, maybe we should just make the most of our life and do whatever we, whatever we please. Whatever makes us ultimately the happiest, even if it comes at the expense of others. Or if God is control, in control, does he even care? Because God's, if God's in control, but... He's not doing the th things the way I would do things. My natural conclusion can be that God isn't really that interested or invested in the current circumstances of my life. Either way, it leaves you feeling discouraged and helpless when that's what you believe about God. In the midst of a third lockdown, facing down a, the second year, we're into the second year of this pandemic, maybe if you're honest, the way in which you've prayed has changed. Maybe if you're honest, you have more questions now when you pray. Maybe the confidence in which you used to pray with has kind of backed off a little bit. For some of you, when you ask, is God in control? It comes from a place of accusation almost. Because maybe God didn't come through for you in the past the way that you wanted him to. And so given your current circumstances, you wonder, God, are you actually in control? For others of you, when you ask this question, God, are you, in, are you in control? It's a sincere question. You really hope he is, even in the moments where it feels like he's not. Now, as we look at the life of Job and we begin in Job chapter 1, Job is living the dream. He's living his best life. His life is comfortable. His life is easy. His business is booming. His kids are healthy. Everything seems like it's going really, really well. His life is what the outside world would call the goal. This is the goal of success. That your business is doing well. You're doing well. Life is as comfortable and easy as possible. In the church, we'd say, wow, that person is blessed. But partway through chapter 1, it all falls apart. Messengers deliver wave after wave of bad news to Job. Job, your oxen and donkeys were stolen. Your farmhands were killed by a raiding party. Then another service, just as that news is being laid on him and he's grasping with it, another messenger shows up and tells Job that all his sheep and shepherds are dead. And he's not even done with that news before a third messenger shows up and tells him another raiding party came along and killed his camels and killed off all his servants. This is overwhelming news. This is, this is the kind of day you had. You woke up that morning, everything was good. Now all your, all your livestock, 
all your staff are annihilated. In this day, there's, there's no insurance company that you can turn to. There's no small business relief fund. When, he, when Job woke up, he, life was great. He felt blessed. He felt like he was completely in control. But now he's trying to process everything. His world is spiraling out of control. And he's not sure what to do. But the news is about to get worse. The news is about to become unbearable. Another servant arrives and informs Job... Your children were at your oldest son's house and a great storm came along, knocked out all the walls and it collapsed on them and they're all dead. It's in this moment where he's truly lost everything. Everything he was proud of, everything he held dear. He never imagined that this would happen to him. Life has changed in a moment. And then chapter 1 ends in a way that we don't expect. Job worships God in the middle of his pain. Verse 20 says this, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. See, it's in the moment of grief, in, in, in Job's worst moment, he decides to worship God. He acknowledges the role that God plays in his life and the power that God possesses, possesses. He puts his faith and his trust in God. But then the weird thing is that things don't get better for Job after that. He begins to experience physical suffering. And those that are watching from the outside, they're watching what's happening with Job, and they're probably lining it up with his faith. They draw their own conclusions. His buddies start to question Job. And they ask him, Job, what have you done to bring the anger of God? What is it that you've done to bring this upon yourself? Even his wife tries to convince Job that the circumstances that they are facing in this moment right now are surely a sign that God has turned his back on both of them. And she even persuades Job, just be done with God. Curse God and die. That's her advice. Thanks, honey. And Job... He refuses to do that. He refuses to lose his faith, but he has questions for God. He needs some answers. God, do you really care? God, do you have any idea what's happening? God, are you really in control? Because if I'm being honest, it doesn't feel like it. In 1990, the Voyager space probe took a photo of Earth from six billion kilometers away. It's the furthest picture of Earth that we've ever taken. And its official name is the pale blue dot because when you look at the picture, that's all it is. It's a picture of space and this tiny, tiny, tiny little pale blue dot is Earth. It's a picture of our planet. It's this little speck against the vast background of our universe. It looks like such a small speck, which leads to some questions. If you are just a small speck on a giant, giant world, a giant planet, but that planet is just a small speck in a solar system that is just a small speck in our galaxy, which is just a small speck in the universe, does God really have the capacity to care about you, the smallest of specks? 
Does God really have the ability to, uh, to worry about you being able to pay your bills this month? Does God really care about your marriage? Does God really care about the loneliness you're feeling in this moment right now? Does God really care that you're trying to balance so many things in your life during this pandemic and you're not sure how long you can hold up? There's so many things that are going on in this universe. Does he really care about this little speck on this little speck in this little speck? What about the pandemic? Is it high on his priority list? Does he care? Or are we alone in this? And so Job asks God questions along the same line. And I think that God is asking these, or I think Job's asking these questions, not just for his own knowledge, but I think he's asking them for you and me as well. God, do you really care about cancer? Do you really care about my job situation? God, can you explain the violence that I see all around me? God, can you explain this violence, or this, this virus, what its purpose is? And after a while, God's listening to Job's questions, and he speaks to Job. But he doesn't answer Job's question. He asks him questions, which is not what you and I would be looking for. If we sat down and we got a chance to ask God a bunch of questions, we'd be looking for some answers. We want, we want God to just answer our questions one after another, and I think that's what Job's looking for. Instead, God asks Job some questions. And what God's questions are doing is helping Job put some perspective into play. Verse 2 says, God's, this is God speaking to Job. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? He's like, Job, you need to recognize. You don't have all the details. You, you can't see it from all angles. Your human mind can only comprehend so much. And so then God goes on to say, brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And we're going to look at some of those questions over the next couple weeks. But God goes on to ask him questions like, Job, were you here when I formed this earth? I don't think you were, but I was. Do you understand how the sun sets and rises? Do you understand who sets the timing for all of that? Do you know the number of stars that hang in the sky? Because I do. To the exact number. Do you know how many grains of sand lay on the beach? Because I do. Job, do you understand the, the course of the constellations? Do you, de do you determine the gravitational pull of the atmosphere? And so he asked Job these questions that remind Job of his place. He asked Job about the details of the universe. The universe. And here's what becomes apparent. God knows what we don't. God's capacity to know the details of things that we never could. God understands what we just can't. Back in 2007, when my kids were 8 and 6, we took them to Disney World in Florida. Now during that year, 2007, Disney was running this, this campaign they called Year of a Million Dreams. And their goal was to go, have their employees go above and beyond and do things among, in their theme parks for their guests. Things that were not just like, we're going to do this for every guest. This was just like random things for random people. And it was anything from like giving out fast passes to families for free. Maybe, maybe giving complimentary night stay for families just randomly. Just picking one random family that they see in the theme park. Right down to giving out free popcorn to just one family or one person or ice cream to random people. And they, they were random acts of kindness to random guests throughout the park. And they did this throughout the entire year. 
Our family got selected while we were in, a, in line for a ride called Mission to Mars. This ride is a simulator that puts you in the cockpit. It's like a simulated cockpit, like you are in a space shuttle heading to Mars. It goes through the whole simulation of you being launched to the space flight to the landing on the planet of Mars. And, and all the while, it just gives you, it's, it's a moving ride with all kinds of lights and, and, and sounds. And even, even right down to the full G-force, it's, it's whipping you around. You don't realize it, but you're in a cockpit and you're being whipped around. The G-forces are like, are real. And our family was selected while we were standing in line to, to go behind the, before we went on the ride, go behind the scenes for a tour of the con- control center that monitored all the activity on this ride. And, there, and when we went back behind the scenes, there was like a full crew of like eight to ten people running this ride in the control center that almost looked like it had the same number of dials and gauges and levers as the actual NASA control center. It was, it was quite impressive. This wasn't the place where they put their 16-year-old summer intern students. Each person in this control room seemed knowledgeable of what each control did. Now imagine if I decided because I was given exclusive access to this area that I decided I was going to push some buttons or pull this lever or let's see what this does, especially not having any knowledge of any of it. That would just be an absolute disaster and it would be dangerous for everyone. Now imagine what God's control room, if he was to have one, would look like. A control room where every single aspect of our universe is controlled. Controls gravity, controls the solar system, controls the oxygen levels, controls the sun. And each dial, each lever is tuned exactly where it needs to be so that life on earth can exist. And the way these levers and dials are set, well, it really couldn't happen by chance. The chances that all of them were set correctly and life could exist, well, scientists say that the odds of that happening, that all these different aspects all line up exactly is one and well the number has 53 zeros in it so you can only imagine how big that number is physicist robin collins once said that the odds of the physics required to support life are being is very is so random sorry the 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 odds of life the, the the all the different physics required for life is being random is about the same odds as throwing a dart from outer space and hitting a bullseye on a dartboard on planet Earth. And that bullseye is a trillionth of a trillionth of an inch wide. This is called the teleological argument for God. The teleological argument is, says that a design so intricate demands that there is a designer. In the same way that you couldn't pick up your cell phone or get in a car and then make the argument that the cell phone that you're holding or the car that you're driving just came into existence by random chance that nobody actually designed this nobody actually had any hands-on on this this just all kind of came together on its own you would never look at that that way but yet the design of the universe is so much more complex and so it's hard to make hard to look at our universe and say that it came into existence by accident or imagine this, I don't know how many of you have ever been to um, downtown Fergus. Outside is the Breadlebane restaurant. There's this tree stump that has been carved into like a Scottish soldier with a, with a sword and a kilt. It's actually quite impressive, whoever, whoever did it. It's very, very Fergus-like. 
But imagine taking your friends for a tour around Fergus and you came to that tree and you told them this tree formed itself through pieces falling off and, and just over time it just formed into to the exact detailed likeness of a Scottish soldier, but by accident. Isn't it an incredible coincidence? They just look at you funny because it's ridiculous. And so as we look at the universe, it's so much more than a tree carving. It's so incredibly ordered. All this points to a designer. But what does that mean? It means that in moments like this, it means in moments we're in the middle of this pandemic, that you can have, God, you can have the confidence that God is in control. And although, although we're in a fallen world where the virus of sin is worse than any airborne virus, we are confident that God sits in the control room with his hands on the lever and is working all things together for our good. Let's look at some of these levers just real quickly. First of all, the location of earth. If earth was 5% closer to the sun than it currently is, the temperature on earth would be 900 degrees. And I know some of you like warmer weather than what we have in, in Canada, but if we had 900 degree weather, we would be wiped out if we were just 5% closer to the sun. If we were 10 to 20% further away from the sun, we would be like Mars and we would, be a, we would freeze over like an ice planet. When it comes to gravity, if the dial of gravity was turned even just slightly, we would cease to exist. If the moon moved closer to the earth by 20%, if you turned just that, that dial just a little bit, we would, be, we would see tidal waves 35 to 50 feet high across most of our planet twice a day. Consider the dials that form our atmosphere. It protects our planet. There's the oxygen dial, a nitrogen dial, and a carbon dioxide dial. If you turned any of those just even a little bit off from where they are right now, we would be open to the greenhouse effect or cosmic radiation, and we would die. Honestly, there's so many examples like this that we could go on and on about. There's so many levers and dials when it comes to our universe that are all set exactly in the right spot. But what are the odds that one of these dials is perfect for life to exist? The answer is one in 10 million. I guess it could happen. It's about the same odds as winning the lottery and someone wins, right? So I guess it could happen. But imagine this. Imagine someone you know won the lottery. Then next week, they won the lottery again. You're thinking, wow, what a... What a crazy coincidence. You've got to be the luckiest person ever. Then the next week they win. Then the next week. Four years go by. And every week your friend has won the lottery. Are you not suspicious at this point that something's up? That this thing is rigged? There's no way? That maybe this isn't incredible luck, but maybe there's someone behind the scenes pulling the strings? This is the odds we are talking about when it comes to the exactness of our universe. What they point to is a God that is in ultimate control. King David says in Psalm 19, 1-4, he says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. 
Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. See, here's my challenge to you. The next time that you're overwhelmed by COVID, and I think we've all been there. There's no shame in that. But the next time you're frustrated by the restrictions or confused about where do we go from here, I want you to step outside your back door one night. I want you to look up into the sky. I want you to just take 10 minutes where you don't say a word, but you just observe the, the universe, the vastness of the stars against a dark backdrop. Take it all in. Because God is shouting to you a message. He is powerful. He is in control. And it may feel like it's, in this moment, it's out of control. You may feel like you want to rush into the control room of God and start turning knobs and dials and doing something different. But that's not a good idea. See, God's hand is on the dial. You need to trust. Because we can be prone to having the same issue that Job had. It's not whether we, try, we question whether God's in control or not. It's just we don't like how he's controlling things. So we want to move some things. We want to turn some things. We want to pull some things. We want to do it different. What we'll discover over the next couple weeks is we worship a God that is so much bigger than we are. He sees what we can't. He knows what we don't. If we were, to, if we were led into the control room and he chose to explain every knob, every dial to us, we would realize real quick we're in over our head. We're out of our league. There's something comforting about knowing we serve a God that big. You're not in control. You never were. But when we realize that we are not in control, we move from a place of knowing of God to knowing God. At the end of Job's story in chapter 42, Job went through a, a ton of pain. And God's asked him all these questions. And Job, in 42, verse, chapter 42, verse 5, Job prays, and this is what he says. I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. You see, Job's world, his world fell apart. But he went from knowing about God to knowing God. And it changed his relationship with God. That's my prayer for all of us that we would cross over that line from knowing about God to knowing intimately God. It's in that time that God seems most out of control is when, when you look hard enough, you realize it's most apparent that he was in control. Last weekend, we celebrated the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And in that moment, especially to the disciples, it seemed that God had lost control of the situation. It seemed that God was silent and powerless to do anything about the situation. It seemed that hope was lost. But it was in the silence that God was doing his greatest work. His hand was always on the dial. And he's always working for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, there's, in the circumstances that we have around us, it can be tough, and we don't mean to downplay anybody's situation. And there can be times, if we're really honest, that we question whether you have any control in our situation. 
If you have any control of what's happening around us, and if you do have control, do you care? But God, may we not lose faith that even when it seems like you're quiet, you're behind the scenes and you're working for our good. Lord, I pray that as we continue through this series and we look at the life of Job, I pray that we would get to this place, if we're not already there, where maybe we've heard about God, maybe we've heard about you, but we get to this place where we, we actually know you. We actually know your heart. And when we do, we see what you want for us, and we see what you want for this earth. And, and God, we understand that you love us and you care about us, and you're behind the scenes, and you're always working. That you never leave us. And it's when, when there's waves all crashing around us that we need to keep our eyes on you. And so God, I pray that throughout the rest of the series, I pray that we would dig in and we would get to know you in a, a way on a different level than we've ever known you before. So Lord, we ask that in your name. Amen.